0: God, we do praise you. We worship you today. God, you are so good to us. Thank you for letting us sleep last night and waking us up. Thank you for allowing us to to come together as your church body, as, as the family, to worship you, to encourage one another. God, we praise you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for sending your son to die in our place that we can be forgiven, that we can be adopted into your family. Thank you for letting us live for you and praise you in all of our life. Thank you for empowering us by your spirit to follow your commands with joy. God, we ask that you bless this worship service today. Help us worship you in spirit and in truth. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: We may not be using the instruments that they were using in the psalm there, but we're going to praise the Lord this morning using the piano for our instruments. So please stand if you're able. We're going to sing, Shine Jesus, Shine. You're still standing. If you turn to page seventy nine, if you're using the hymnal, we'll sing, My Jesus, I love thee.
2: I want to pray now a uh, prayer of confession of sin and assurance of pardon. And uh, in our Sunday school lesson this morning, you know, we looked at the, the woman that was brought before Jesus caught in adultery. A picture of each and every one of us as we stand guilty before a holy God. Every single human being, every one of us are guilty. It's only by God's grace and mercy that he's lavished upon us that he makes it available for us to be redeemed, to be made right, to be brought into his kingdom. That's who God is. A God of infinite love that he would send his son Jesus to pay the price that we owed, giving his life and shedding his blood. That sinners that have Done so much to sin against a holy God that he loved us enough that we could be reconciled back to him. And all of us are right there. So please join me in prayer. Holy Father, we, God, come before you acknowledging that, God, we're all guilty sinners. Without your grace and mercy, without your Son Jesus, we'd be condemned to hell and rightfully so. God, we are so grateful and thankful that and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that you would send him for us to redeem us, to bring us back to you. God, your love and your grace and your mercy, it just, it's just hard for me to grasp the depth and totality of it, I can't. God, but uh, you're awesome in all your ways. And just please forgive us, God, for struggling still by sinning even after we've been redeemed, God. We pray for your continued work in our lives and our hearts as you continue to transform us more and more into the image of Jesus. God, the believer, each and every one of us have truly given our hearts to Christ Our daily life, our daily walk is a walk of repentance. Help us to walk that walk of repentance. As we open your word and we hear your word, may we hear your voice, God, and understand how much you love us and that there's a brighter day coming when Jesus comes back. God, so forgive us for our sins. Work in our hearts that, God, we would give ourselves totally and completely to you each and every day. That we would step out and share the gospel when you grant us opportunities. That we would love each other the way you would have us to love each other. God, and we're grateful and thankful that your word is the absolute truth. And your word tells us that, God, we're forgiven if we've truly given our hearts to Christ. That was his mission. And that we're born again by your spirit. And we're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of your love. Forever sealed, forever and ever. And we praise you for the truth of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: For our time of praise and worship this morning, we're going to sing 10,000 Reasons. Bless the Lord on my soul and Hosanna. Stand once again if you're able. as the Lord So worship your home. Lord, you may be seated.
0: Will you join me in prayer? God be with me as I proclaim your word. Be with those listening that they would have ears to hear and they would leave here transformed. God bless the, the reading of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we get to Genesis, I do want to read Matthew 21 14 and following. It says this The blind and lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. When the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonders, that he did and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus replied, yes. Have you never read? You have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies. Then he left them, went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. So yes, Hosanna to the son of David. Uh, Jesus, we praise him as our God. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, We'll be in Genesis 9, verses 18 through 29 today, continuing our series uh, through the book of Genesis. Today, we're looking at the curse of Canaan, the curse of Canaan. Four main sections. First, we'll look at misusing God's good gifts, misusing God's good gifts. Second, dishonoring your parents literally, and we'll see what that, this will make sense at the end, okay? Okay. And then number three, dishonoring your parents metaphorically, Leviticus 18, 7, 20, 17. Again, this will make sense when we get there. (laughs) And then fourth, the effects of sin. So last week we saw the grace and patience of God to enter into a covenant relationship with Noah, his family, and really all the earth. Um, Despite sin and rebellion, God has promised not to destroy the world by a flood again. And even though, he again, that God knew that they would rebel against him, and we see this happen in just the very few verses, after God exemplifies his grace and patience with the symbol of the rainbow, Noah would sin against God. As we pick back up here, misusing God's good gifts in Genesis 9:18. we read this, uh, Noah's sons who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. Now, this will be important later. It's focusing in here on Canaan for a reason, and we'll see why in, uh, in a few minutes. So Genesis nine nineteen. these were the three. These three were Noah's sons, and from them the whole earth was populated. Noah was a man of the soil, began planting a vineyard. So remember, there was, there's a lot of parallels between the story of Noah and the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Uh, and so Noah planting a vineyard... It uh, reminds me of something that we've read in the past recently in Genesis. It reminds me of someone else that planted crops. If you remember, Cain. Cain in Genesis 4, he collected produce from the ground. And we know how the story of Cain ended. <laughs> not very well for Cain. Uh, perhaps this is some foreshadowing. Uh, because we what is about to happen will not end very well either. And so we see Noah in verse 21, after he plants the vineyard gets the fruit of the harvest in verse 21 he says it says he drank some of the wine became drunk and uncovered himself in his tent now in the bible wine is often seen as a blessing wine is something to enjoy it is a gift for the people of god to enjoy like good food to enjoy right but instead of thanking god for the blessing instead of drinking it in moderation drinking the appropriate amount noah abuses god's gift he abuses the wine. And that really is what a lot of rebellion in our lives are. That is what sin comes down to. It is th- taking something that God has given us as good and abusing it. Or using it for the wrong reasons, misusing it. Uh, specifically with the issue of alcohol, uh, because when you drink too much, it causes people, causes you not to be able to think clearly. You you were not able to control your emotions. You're not able to control your actions. Uh, Drinking too much wine becomes a curse upon man and can result in terrible, terrible things. Uh, The Old Testament is full of stories, full of passages about the terrible effects of drunkenness. I'll just go to one here, Proverbs 23, starting in verse 30. It says, those who linger over wine, those who go looking for mixed wine, don't gaze at wine because it is red, because it gleams in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake. And stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things, and you will say absurd things. Again, the the fruit and the wine you can that is that is a gift from God. But when one starts to linger over it, when one starts to gaze at it, a drinking too much of it, right? While good at first, too much will leave a bite. It will cause you to see and say strange things. This is one of the many warnings that are in the Old Testament concerning drunkenness. The same warning occurs in the New Testament. Ephesians 5:18 says, "And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living." So Scripture is clear that having too much alcohol is one not good for us. It can cause us to do shameful things. It can cause us to do things that could hurt uh, not only our reputation but it can hurt us physically, right? It's not good for us physically. Number two, having too much alcohol, it is not good for, us, for those around us. Our actions affect the people around us, especially the people that are close to us and that we love and care for. It can affect them very negatively. And third, this drinking too much alcohol is an act of rebellion against God ultimately. and goes against what He wants for us. It is abusing His good gift. So already in just the first nine chapters of Genesis, we have seen several acts of rebellion and there are terrible consequences. First, we saw the pride of Adam and Eve. They wanting to be equal to God, declaring for themselves what is right and wrong instead of trusting God, their creator. Cain, we saw how he lacked faith in God and does not give God his best offering and thus is furious with his brother Abel whose offering was accepted. Because of this fury and anger and lack of faith in God, Cain murders his brother Abel. We saw how Lamech was abusive, he was violent, he was vengeful. The sons of God, we saw how they took wives for themselves, which portrays sexual immorality of one kind or another. And then we see that all of humanity was wicked, and that is why God sent the flood. But by the grace of God, Noah had faith. Noah sought to follow after God. Noah was declared as righteous. But as we've just seen in our passage today, Noah was not the righteous one. He wasn't the perfectly righteous person. Instead, Noah was just a shadow, a pointer to the only perfect righteous one, God in the flesh, Jesus. So with Noah's drunkenness here, let us learn from his mistake. Because the Old Testament not only points us to Jesus, but it also gives us accounts that we can learn from, that we are to learn from. Uh, 1 Corinthians ten eleven makes this point, talking about things that happened in the Old Testament. He says, these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages have come. They're written for our instruction. We're to learn from their mistakes. So here are two things we can learn from Noah's negative example of what not to do. Number one, we must be on guard of forgetting about God when times are good. Because remember, Noah just had this literal mountaintop experience with God, experiencing the salvation of God. God just made him a promise to him and to his descendants and entered into a covenant relationship with Noah. Everything is looking good for Noah. All of the wickedness of the world was washed away in the flood. But Wait a minute, is that really true? Was all the wickedness, all the evil washed away? No, not really. Noah perhaps thought it was. Noah perhaps forgot about his own sinfulness. Maybe he was prideful, and he thought of himself as being above temptation. But sin was still crouching at the door, just as it was for Cain. So when times are good, Let us not be prideful. Let us not forget about the God who has blessed us. Instead, let us worship God for his good gifts and serve him with what he's blessed us with and be on guard against sin and temptation, even when times are good. Number two, let us learn this. Let us be warned that drunkenness can have negative effects beyond our own actions. Drunkenness can have negative effects beyond our own actions. As we read back in verse 21, He drank some of the wine, became drunk, and uncovered himself in his tent. In the case of Noah, it seems that it caused him to pass out in his tent. He is not able to function as he ought. And in this state of his drunken sleep, we will see how someone will sinfully take advantage of this situation. So let me give an an illustration to kind of explain what's going on. Why Why do we, as people, why do we lock our cars? Why do we lock our cars when we go to the store or even when we're at the house? we lock our cars because we know people are sinful. We lock our cars because we know people like to steal stuff, right? And so we want to guard our possessions. Uh, Just a couple weeks ago, uh, our cars at our house were broken into. Well, not really broken into. We didn't lock the door, right? So we live in a pretty safe neighborhood. We live in seminary housing. We don't have anything expensive in our cars. So we're like, we didn't really care to lock them. Now we will. But they didn't. There was nothing for them to steal. We we noticed that they just rifled through our belongings and like the middle console and everything. They didn't take my insurance card, so thankfully, you know. But the point is, what if we did have something of value in our cars? What if we kept a, a firearm, for example, in our car? And what if we left that car unlocked with that firearm inside, and they could just easily open the door and steal the gun? It would be wrong for them to steal, right? It's wrong for them to enter into the car that's not theirs and take what's not theirs. But it is also very unwise for us not to lock our vehicles, right? It it could have been prevented because they're just going around seeing which doors are unlocked. We could have prevented this crime. So we know that there is evil in the world, and we do our best to keep our possessions safe, right? Right? We, we lock our doors, we keep our money in the bank, we, we keep our money in a safe, we do our best to keep ourselves and we keep our families safe. So in a similar way, drunkenness is, is like not locking your doors. Drunkenness is not only rebellious against God's command, it can, it can not only cause you to hurt other people, it also disables you from being able to help yourself or help your family when evil knocks on the door. Because evil doesn't really knock on the door, does it? It doesn't let you know it's coming. So for the sake of your safety, for the sake of your family's safety, we need to realize the harmful effects drinking too much can cause. We need to be wise in how we act and live in this world. And so we will see that Noah's drunkenness left the door open for evil to enter in. We see in our second section here, dishonoring your parents, literally, in verse 22. So Ham, the father of Canaan, again, emphasis on his son, Canaan. Ham saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a cloak and placed it over their shoulders. Walking backward, they covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his drinking and learned what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Canaan is cursed. He will be the lowest of slaves to his brothers. Now, if you're like me, if you're reading this for the first time this week, actually, I've read it before right now. That's not, that is not what I meant. You know what I mean? If you're, if you're reading this for the first time, you might be asking yourself, what just happened? What is going on? Because I feel like I'm saying that about every passage in Genesis. is like, what's going on here? This is very strange. Because I'm left with a couple questions. Number one, is what Ham did, what Ham did, did that deserve a curse from Noah like this? It's a pretty harsh curse, right? Did, would, did Ham do something that bad? Second, why is Ham's son cursed, not Canaan? What What's going on? And so... There are two main views to explain what just happened. Uh, and so first is the most straightforward, literal reading. It's a literal reading of what just happened. And we'll, I'll go into that. I think that is the most, that's where I land at right now. But there, the second view does have some, some strength to it. The second view is reading some of the language in this passage uh, as a metaphor or an idiom or a euphemism to refer to something much worse. So first, the most popular interpretation is that Ham, he literally went into his father's tent and saw him naked. That's what happened. Uh, this would be a sign of disrespect to his father. Right? And so it was made worse by Ham going out of the tent and telling his brothers about it. It's kind of like encouraging them to do the same thing he did. It would be like saying, let's go look at our dad. He's, he's drunk. He passed out. Let's go laugh at him. Let's disrespect him. It's, it, that would be the, the intention there. So since the fall, after sin entered the world, nakedness led to shame. We saw that in the Garden of Eden. We should cover up our nakedness as God covered Adam and Eve in the garden. So Ham had no shame for his father's nakedness. He had no respect for his father. And so dishonoring your parents is a grievous sin to the Lord. And I think this passage may seem strange to us. And this idea of disrespect doesn't seem that bad because we've lost that emphasis today. We've lost the, the grievous nature of if, if children respecting their parents, that they should respect their parents. So maybe that's probably maybe why we have a hard time understanding this passage. Because honoring one's parents is so important to God. He includes it in one of the Ten Commandments. Exodus twenty twelve says, Honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So respecting your parents is a big deal. It is the commandment that comes with a blessing. And in today's passage, going against the commandment brings a curse. Remember, God has set up the authority structures for our good. And he set it up this way from creations. Uh, Humans are supposed to be in authority over the animals. And then he sets up governments over the individuals, as we looked at last week, with he's given them the uh, justice, given them the sword. And we saw last week God's command for justice and to protect life, a life for a life. And now we see the authority of the parent and the child relationship. Again, parents are not perfect. Obviously, Noah is not perfect here. He is in the wrong. Yet, Ham was still supposed to respect and honor him. Now, respecting and honoring your parents doesn't mean that you approve of everything they do. And it doesn't mean that you don't hold them accountable for their actions. Let me be clear about that. But it does mean doing so in a respectful way. In the case of Noah, we see the respectful thing to do was not look upon his nakedness like, Ham's, like Ham did. Uh, so see, seeing Ham's purposeful dishonor of his father, in, in light of the serious nature of the sin in the Bible, it makes Noah's reaction more understandable. Especially as we look closer at the curse, what the curse is actually saying in just a few minutes. So if this interpretation is correct, if this is taken literally, it would be emphasizing the importance of honoring your parents. Uh, This would apply both to young kids and adult children. For the young kids, listen, this is for you guys. Are there times this past week when you disrespected your parents by something you said, something you did, The good news is that Jesus promises to forgive us all our sins, even sins when we disobey and disrespect our parents. When we repent, turn away from our sin, and turn to Jesus and trust in him as our God, Savior, and King. Pray and depend on the Holy Spirit to help you respect your parents. Now, for the older kids, for the adult children, how can you continue to show honor? How can you continue to respect your parents, even out when you're out of the house. One way Jesus talks about honoring your parents in the New Testament is by helping take care of them in their need. And keeping in touch with them is a practical way. Being kind to them, loving them practically. So those are the applications of honoring your parents, not following the path of Ham. So that's the literal interpretation. That would emphasize honoring your parents. Third section the other alternative interpretation, dishonoring your parents metaphorically. Specifically, we'll look at Leviticus eighteen seven and 20, verse 17. If you want to note those down, you can look at those later. But I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll read them here together. So when it says in Genesis nine twenty two, Ham the father of Cain and saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside, this phrase could be a, a metaphor, a euphemism, an idiom for something worse. It's kind of about the same way you would say something uh, really bad without using the exact words. So for today, if you said, you know, how's your your relationship doing? You're like, well, it's kind of on the rocks. On the rocks is a metaphor to say it's not going very well, right? And so we use phrases like that to describe things, right? And so that's possibly what's happening here in verse 22 because we see this language being used in Leviticus 18.7 to refer to something really bad. So uh, the CSB translation uh, translates the metaphor so that we understand what's going on. Uh, but the King James Version, as well as other uh, versions like the ESV and the NASB, translate it literally from the Hebrew, keeping the metaphorical language. And so this is what the, how the King James uh, Version uh, translates Leviticus 18.7. It keeps the, the metaphorical language. It says this, The nakedness of thy father, or the nakedness of thy mother, shalt thou not uncover. She is thy mother, thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. So that is the literal translation from the Hebrew. And you're like, what is it talking about? Uh, It's using metaphorical language to talk about abuse. It's using the metaphor language to talk about abuse, So when it uses this phrase to uncover someone's nakedness, it is that metaphor. It's an idiom. Uh, As the CSB and other translations make the meaning clear, they don't keep the original uh, metaphor there. They they translate it over so that the modern reader could understand. It says in Leviticus 18.7 for the CSB translation, says, You are not to violate the intimacy that belongs to your father and mother. She is your mother. You must not have sexual intercourse with her. You can understand why they would want to make that an metaphor, an idiom. It's like we, we kind of are revolted by that, right? So it's interpreting the metaphors in modern English. So instead of saying relationship is on the rocks, they, they translate the relationship is really bad, right? So from Leviticus 18.7, we see the phrase, uncovering the nakedness refers to this abuse. But you have to ask yourself, back in Genesis 9, it doesn't say that Ham uncovered, he merely saw But we see in Leviticus 20, 17, that uncovering and seeing are used synonymously, are used interchangeably. I know this is a lot. We're almost done. You can keep keep tracking with me. All right. So again, the King James Version keeps the metaphor while other translations put the meaning in modern terms. So King James of Leviticus 20, verse 17, says, If a man shall take his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter, and see her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a wicked thing. So you see how the, the, the metaphorical language is used this way as well. Seeing and uncovering both refer to improper, sinful sexual relations. So some scholars think that this is what's going on in the situation in Genesis 9. So this is met, these metaphors were common in the time of Leviticus, and so maybe that's the same metaphorical language being used with the sin of Ham. So with that metaphor in mind, we read verse 22 in a new light in Genesis 9:22. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. So if this is metaphorical language, it could be describing that Ham did something really bad. Right? He, he uh, possibly abused Noah or abused Noah's wife. As we saw with the connections to Leviticus, connecting the father and the wife there. And so Ham was proud of his action, and he goes and tells his brothers what he did. He's not repentant in the slightest. Shem and Japheth did not approve of what Ham did. They instead go in and respect and cover their father and their mother, covering them up literally with a blanket. So if that's the interpretation, it could explain why Canaan is the focus point here. Remember, over and over again, it says Ham, the father of Canaan, Ham, the father of Canaan. Why is Canaan such a big emphasis in this story? Because maybe perhaps Canaan is a result of this sinful act. So additionally, this view would support other biblical passages like we read about in Leviticus about sexual ethics. It would be teaching us something about sexual ethics. There are boundaries that God has set up for us and that sex should be in the covenant, covenant marriage between man and woman. Anything done outside of the marriage covenant is wrong, So at the end of the day, I sided with the first interpretation, taking it literally, but there is something to consider with this metaphor, metaphorical language in Leviticus. It's hard to discount that, that same usage there. But either way, well, let's look at the curse here, the effects of sin in Genesis 9.24. It says, When Noah awoke from his drinking and learned what his youngest son had done to him, He said, Canaan is cursed. He will be the lowest of slaves to his brothers. So a few things to point out about this curse. First, notice that it is Noah doing the cursing, not God. So it seems that this curse is a form of request to God, which is made clear in verse 26 when Noah addresses God. He says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Let Canaan be Shem's slave. So he's requesting this curse to be enacted by God. And we see that Noah blesses and praises God for Shem's obedience. Because Noah understands that Shem's obedience is rooted in the grace of God. He said, God, I praise you for the grace that you had on my other sons. As their, their faith, as our faith in our good deeds, it's not anything good in, our, in us. Our faith in our good deeds is not on our own strength. We can't boast in ourselves. Noah doesn't boast in his son. He boasts in the Lord for his son's goodness. The same is for us. All we can do is praise God that he saved us and that he enabled us to do good. Because if it wasn't for God's grace, we would be just as bad as ham. Have you ever thought about that? Like, if it wasn't for God's grace in your life, you, you would be, we would all be always so bad. While God gets the glory for our good deeds, we are still responsible for our sin, and our sin has consequences. And because of Ham's sin, Noah asked the Lord to humble Ham's son Canaan in the form of servitude to Shem. But the question still remains why Ham's son and not Ham himself? It seems to be building on the idea of the parent child relationship, right? If Ham did not respect his father, it is likely that Canaan would not respect his father either. Noah is foretelling the sinful pattern that will be present. In Ham's lineage. And as a result, their rebellion against God, their rebellion against God's commands, they will face the consequences of their actions. So the curse would not be so much as a punishment on Canaan for Ham's sinful action, but a depiction of how children raised in such an environment where there is such evil going on, they too might fall into this pattern of disobedience. So we see the rebellion of the Canaanites throughout the Old Testament. We see that they're the servitude of the descendants of Shem later on. So, in other words, this curse is prophetic about the continued sin, continued rebellion of the lineage of Ham and its negative con- con- consequences. Which, back then and even today, the repercussions on one's kids and repercussions on one's grandkids, even, that repercussion can be worse if the person who sinned faced the consequences alone. Have you ever thought about that? Like, if your sinful action had a negative effect on your kids or your grandkids, that, in my mind, that hurts me more than if I just faced the consequences, right? Knowing that my sinfulness affected somebody else negatively. So it's not as if Ham was not affected by this prophetic curse. But the reality is, our lives, our sins, not only affect us, they affect those around us. So a couple applications from this passage. Number one, for children, again, for children, this is applicable to you. We are to, you are to honor your father and mother. This is an important point from the beginning of Genesis all the way through the Bible in the Ten Commandments, and Jesus reiterates this teaching in the New Testament. Children are supposed to honor and respect their parents. Second, we, learn, we see here that parents can't control the outcome of their kids' lives. Parents can't control the outcome of your kids' lives. Noah had three sons. Two were faithful, one was not. And I'm sure he raised them in the same way. And at the end of the day, he, we, are, we are all called to strive to trust in God, live a holy life, and teach our kids to do the same. But it is only by God's grace that he causes them to see the truth. So, it is not, you can't control the outcome. You have to let that go. You have to do your best and trust in the Lord with that. Third, your personal holiness can have one of the biggest impacts on your child's life and those around you. So when your kids see you repent of your sin, when they see you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when they see you go and be forgiven daily, that can, be, that can have a profound effect on what they believe, on what they do. When your coworkers and your friends see you finding joy in God, finding joy in following Him, finding joy in your church family, that will have a profound effect on your Christian witness and discipleship. So your personal holiness can have effect on others. And fourth, this is different than the other applications. This is more of a, a teaching of what how not to apply this passage. Uh, the curse of Canaan here, this passage, does not justify racism. Now, some people are like, what, what does that have to do? How did you get racism from this passage? That's a good question. But historically, people have, and it's wrong that they did. Historically, and maybe even some today, I read an article about a guy who's in his 40s when he was a kid, heard this passage preached to support racism. So it's still not that old of interpretation. So perhaps even some people today heard this passage preached to argue that dark-skinned people are lesser than, less human than others because they are descendants from Canaan. People use this passage to also justify owning slaves, which is, this is not how this passage is to be used. This is not what God's word is teaching. As we've seen from the beginning of Genesis, God has made humanity in his image, all of people, all humanity, no matter where they're from, their skin color, every single person. And being made in God's image means all human life has value. God wants all of humanity to be fruitful and multiply. And that Jesus died for the sins of people from all nations, from all tribes. that speak all kinds of languages. So this is a warning. Let us not twist the scriptures to justify our own sin. Let us not twist the scriptures to justify our hatred or discrimination of people that are different than us. Instead, let us seek to rightfully interpret the word of truth and love our neighbor as Christ's commander. And lastly, we conclude today with chapter 9, today with two, two verses in Genesis nine twenty eight, We see Noah lived 350 years after the flood, so Noah's life lasted 950 years, then he died. For all the hope that Noah brought, and all the good he did, and all the faith he exhibited in God, we see that he is not the ultimate Savior of sin and death. He too was defeated by death. Noah was just a pointer to the one true Savior, Jesus. Jesus would live the perfect life. Jesus never got drunk. He honored his parents perfectly. And actually turns the curse of Canaan upside down. Listen to this in Matthew twenty, verse twenty-six. And Jesus says this Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what was a curse for Canaan to be a slave and a servant? Jesus actually commands his disciples to humble themselves to serve others following his own example, his sacrificial service. Again, the majesty, the grace that God would come down in a form of a servant to take the punishment and curse that we deserved. For while we may look at him, we we may look at his sin, and we may be tempted to be prideful. We say, how could he do such a thing? I would never do that. You have to realize if it wasn't for God's grace in our life, we would live much worse. We realize that we have all fallen short, either by getting drunk, overindulging on other things, abusing God's gifts, dishonoring our parents, having sex outside the covenant of marriage, the list goes on. But the good news is that Jesus gave his life in our place so that we could be forgiven of all our sins, all our sins. And when when reflecting on this story of the curse of Canaan, some might think, I feel like I'm in Canaan's spot because my parents have, I've had this history of sin. I've had this, this history of rebellion against God. And I feel like I can't get out of that. The good news is Jesus can save you from that too. He can save you from that too. Because he makes you a new creation. Everything gone before is old and gone and dead. What your parents did, what your grandparents did, that's not on you. You're a new creation. In Christ, he empowers you to live lives not of shame, but of joy and gladness in his service. So let us respond today. Repent of any sin. Repent of any sexual sin. Repent of sins of dishonoring your parents. Repent of sins that you just don't want to let go, that you're hiding, that you think no one may know about. Repent of those sins. And turn to Jesus. Find full forgiveness for all of your sins. Let us respond in praise to our great and glorious God.